from the symbol of salvation release. That is Armored Saint with dropping like flies. That's what happens when that uh, coronavirus gets around. So make sure you have plenty of lime to uh, ward that shit off. So uh, playing a little Armored Saint there only means one thing. Our uh, heavy metal correspondent, Mr. Bob Nelbandian, is with us. What's going on, Bob? What's going on, and Chris? <laughs> it's always I turned my be- camera on just in case so all the uh, three <laughs> female listeners of the CMS could see my pretty face. There you go. Well, we always so like... I, I knew when you queued in Armored Saint, I was coming up next. I like the professional queue-in. In fact, I should hit up Armored Saint for royalties for the amount of times that you play them every time you're, I'm featured on the show. That's exactly right, Bob. Exactly right. If it wasn't for the early influences of Bob Nobandian, we might not have an armored saint today. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But. I would. <laughs> I'll give credit where credit is due, God damn it. Oh, there you go, Neely. Well, well, Bob, well, how, how are you, sir? We're always glad to have you on the show. Well, always glad to be on, man. I'm looking forward to talk about the coronavirus for the next four hours. Yeah, well, we did, we did that last week. We did about a six-hour show of all coronavirus-related stories. I and know that. So we're trying to steer away from that. We're trying to bring be a little more uplifting, give uh, the fans hope and light, and uh, that's the reason why you've dropped in out of the clouds. Absolutely. Get people's mind off that damn thing. Very exactly. Cool. Well, I'm glad to be here. Well, you don't have the coronavirus, do you, Bob? Well, I certainly hope not. You sound a little, you <laughs> sound a little might, hoarse might tonight. On your show, you never know. <laughs> you got that. Dip. I've been, I've been uh, staying in and and to uh, to uh, use a woke term, I've been using social distancing. <laughs> so I, I think I'm okay. I've been uh, just uh, chilling out here, uh, listening to the CMS, uh, and uh, was watching this really cool. I know you guys are into the whole Netflix documentaries. I just saw pop up today, uh, Tiger King. Did you have you heard of that? Dude, I, I, I saw that. the ad for it, but I didn't see it. Yeah, well, that's I, I watched the uh, uh, little trailer, you know, when you when it comes on, you have the trailer. I'm going, fuck. And I, I got three episodes in and I'm like hooked. It was like and I, I usually don't get hooked on these series things, but um, it's pretty cool. I won't get into it. I'll let the uh, listeners check it out. But what's it about? It's <laughs> dude, it's it's about the. Uh, um, capturing of tigers and breeding them all these tiger rescue uh well there's these uh, i guess in oklahoma this one guy who's like considered the tiger king is his name has, the rev no it's not the rev believe it or not <laughs> but it looks like him a giant bullet he's gay he's uh it no. could be it could be the rev <laughs> he actually is but it's it's pretty funny and then there's this crazy bitch who has this tiger sanctuary who um, I got into the point now I won't get fully into it, but where she's accused of killing her husband, who was a multimillionaire, who got her enabled her to do this tiger sanctuary or big cat sanctuary, not all tigers, and they breed you know hundreds and you know hundreds of them, and uh, it's it's just crazy, man. And then there there's this other guy who's uh, in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, who's got his own tiger zoo. And he's like this polygamist, has got like four wives. Dude, they're all nut jobs. They're all, he's got like four wives. The gay guy has two husbands and this fucking crazy cat sanctuary bitch. Dude, it's just this, I, mean, I was in the three episodes and you're like, I mean, these people are nuts. I mean, it just shows how nutty and nar- narcissistic 
and sociopathical these fucking crazy cat people are. It's, it's you know, they're like politicians. <laughs> it's crazy. You should watch it, though. It's, it's uh, like I said, it's a seven seven part episode. I got three episodes in, and uh, I'll probably watch uh, watch the rest of it tonight. All right. Well, I yeah. know what I'm doing tomorrow. I'll be watching that because I need yeah. something. It's That's pretty not- Neely, what was that documentary we, we watched with the 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 guy that sucked the other guy's dick because he um, oh that that uh, that one where they were um, what was the name of that uh, one where they they were involved <laughs> no with some some guy who convinced them that uh, he could have sex with their young daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, he kidnapped the young daughter or something, or he uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then somehow to make it right, he sucked the kidnapper's dick. It was well, like, dude, that's no. the thing. These guys are just huge manipulators. Like like this woman in this thing, you just want to beat her ass. She, <laughs> you know, she kills her husband. And the, and the uh, it, it's so obvious. All the, uh, you know, the evidence leads right to her. And the, of course, it's in Florida where she right. is, where her sanctuary is. And, and uh, you know, they had her diary saying how she wanted to get rid of them and blah, blah, blah. I mean. Just to- more evidence in the O.J. Simpson trial, put it that way. And right. uh, she got away with it. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's pretty. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get too into it because, like I said, I'm only three episodes in. But, uh, dude, I love those conspiracy things, especially, uh, you know, the ones on like the Jonestown. Uh, that, and uh, did you see the one on the um, uh, Bhagwan Ranish? What was it? Bhagwan Sharif the, in Oregon. You probably remember this in the early 80s, at least Neely. Remember the whole Bhagwan conspiracy you know it sounds real familiar it's been a long time this guy was supposedly this guru uh you know from india and you know and he was all about helping people and all he was spend his money on you know buying all these limousines and then he had this crazy assistant chick from india that's a good one as is the, uh, the i i even watched that yoga instructor guy the guy that does the uh hot yoga brick rim Brick, brick rim or whatever okay. that's a fucking crazy all these guys are fucking nuts they're all these narcissistic total sociopaths and uh, uh that's a crazy one, well, that, one but 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 you know that just goes back to how people like a like a uh, charles manson was able to you know hoodwink his people into doing shit for him because he also had that crazy about him well, dude, they all want to be celebrities. They all want to be rock stars like Charles Manson. And in fact, in this Tiger documentary, the dude wants to be like this big. They all do. They want to be these big YouTube sensations. And the guy even puts out these records, these country records about big cats. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And they all want to be, I mean, Charles Manson. Um, dude, you know the guy from um, Waco? What was? Uh, oh, yeah, David Koresh. David Koresh. You know, he was in a band. Yeah, he, wanted they, to, he had a rock band, yeah. Well, check this out. I remember a good friend of mine who worked at the KNAC. He did the local music show, uh, uh, Craig Williams. And uh, I, I, I probably have the tape somewhere. He gave me a bunch of cassettes. He had the tape. He played. He would send the tape in. And he said everyone knew this guy as this psycho guy. He, he, he wasn't going by David Koresh. It was another name, I believe. But he would call in and like, you're going to play my demo this Sunday night. And, and the demo was just completely shit. It was awful. And they would just laugh, and they were like, "Put it on speakerphone with everyone there." And the guy would call in or have his messages: "You are going to play my demo on Sunday night, or else." You know that kind of shit. But yeah, they're all wackos that were unsuccessful in becoming rock stars or TV evangelists or movie stars or whatever. So they, uh, 
They form a cult. Now, wait a minute, Bob. You Just have... like Stephen Piercy did, man. Like Stephen Piercy and his Illuminati. <laughs> which were, I mean, that fucker's the biggest cult, you know, conspiracist around. You know, I mean, you know that's true, right? right Stephen Piercy. I, mean, I knew Stephen back in the old days of rap when he was going by Stephen Eric. Remember right. that? <laughs> and the, the first, what was the first song they did on Metal Blade? On the Metal Massacre record? Tell mm -hmm. the world. Think about that. Oh. Tell the world. You're buying into Stephen Eric, Eric Ferrantino. I mean, come on, dude. If that's not a conspiracy. <laughs> that's two legs of the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, dude, that's it's just crazy. I love watching these these kind of documentaries and hearing these stories, all these conspiracists. And now you got all these, you know, coronavirus conspiracies going around. But it's it's amusing. It's keeping me amused. While I'm in house arrest. Well, what, what's more disconcerting, sure. Bob, is not the fact that these people, you know, want to be something and they have this uh, certain thing about them. What What's really frightening is they get people to believe in them and get, Dude, you know. They're master manipulators. I mean, you, you just watch these. And I get it. Some, you know, some of these were, you know, 10, 15 years ago and people that, you know, especially, especially, you know, the Charles Manson back in the 60s. You didn't, you know, you have people on drugs, you know, this hippie movement searching for something and they look at this guy as their savior, you know? So, uh, no, but they're all master manipulators, but it's, it's interesting. There was another one. Did you see the one on the, the, the guy on the source? The source was like a restaurant, like the first health food restaurant in Hollywood on sunset Boulevard. In fact, I went there a couple of times. It was open up until the early nineties, but he, he, the guy ended up dying like in the seventies, this is all starting the sixties, but he was a major conspiracist, uh, 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 he had this huge cult, the uh, Source cult. But anyway, I don't know if that's still up there. I think it was called the Source, the Source family. That was a good one too. <laughs> wow, you're really into it, Bob. I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yes. These conspiracies are a fun thing, especially now that I've been home. You know, I'm just been checking out a lot of this shit. So uh, that's what stuff. And with everybody at home, a lot of people are just making it up and floating it out there and seeing what sticks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, they they rely on Chris to bring them their next watching experience. Yes. Well, you guys actually, it's uh, you guys that turned me on to a lot of these. Just through listening to uh, the CMS, you turned me on to a lot of these uh, different series and different shows on uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime. Well, look at you now that you got time to do it. You're just like, yeah, those fucking guys were right. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Well, well, so, Bob. Uh, Hopefully we'll get the uh, screening date rescheduled. Uh, you know, I know Chris uh, already had tickets and his hotel reserved and everything. In fact, we had we had quite a few people that were actually flying out of town for this. And, uh, you know, it really sucks, but obviously it, it had to be done. And it was to be expected that uh, we had to cancel the screening. So those that don't know, of course, the screening of the uh, uh, new Inside Metal movie, Bay Area Godfathers, that was... Scheduled for March 29th in San Francisco at the Roxy Theater has been canceled, and uh, we will postpone it. But it's just right now indefinitely. So I'm I'm hoping we could do it. I mean, who knows how long this is going to last for? So it's kind of up in the air. But you know, we do plan on getting the DVD and streaming out. Hopefully, just before summer or around uh, the beginning of summer. So uh, you know, I, I would hope we could do the screening before the uh, the DVD comes out. So, uh, but we'll we'll keep it all posted for sure. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it, it does suck. And believe me, I, I, I'm really, I, I'm bummed not about the plane flight as much as I was just looking forward to coming out and having some fun and 
seeing if I couldn't bury you and Toby in a bottle of um, whatever we were drinking. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I mean, but, you would bury us both, believe me. <laughs> but we'll get, but we'll get there. You know, I mean, yeah. in the end, in the end, and this is what I keep telling everybody. It's like, don't worry about shit. It's, it'll all work out, and we'll yeah, have. I'm not worried, but like I said, I, I knew it was going to happen. I'm just kind of bummed because we, you know, I mean, we put a lot of work into, especially this one. We had a lot of people. I mean, dude, half the bands if not more that were featured in the movie, we're all coming down. We had a really, uh, you know, we had a packed house lined up, but we'll get them. We'll get them back whenever we get it rescheduled. But, uh, and the one in Oregon, we had one important in Oregon as well, scheduled for April 3rd. Of course that, that got canceled as well. I, everything's canceled. So sure. But we'll, yes. we'll get it. We'll get it back up and running. Now, dude, being out there, man, um, I saw in the music news today that, um, that the drummer from from Death Angel is like really really sick. Like yeah, Will Carroll. I I didn't get um you know much information. I mean I saw it on uh, uh Craig LeCicero's page and uh, uh Danny uh, Danny Shipp TV. A lot of people posting about it, and I, I assume it is the coronavirus because they all came back from tour uh, yeah. together. Testament Exodus and um, Death Angel. I know Gary Holt and his wife apparently have it too, but they're not not you know hospitalized as far as i know like like right. will it's it's scary i mean it is serious it's, it's a serious thing out there and uh uh you know that's why I, I do take it serious as far as uh you know staying indoors and uh you know just going out when i i you know for necessities and that's uh what i advise other people to do and i know the bay area it's 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 really bad california in general you know new york california seattle obviously i know they're they're the leading but i, I think you'll be hearing a lot more cases coming out coming out of California uh, soon. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear most people are taking it cool and cautious and, you know, no rioting or looting has happened yet. So uh, that's good. So hopefully you know, people will remain cool and calm. And, you know, if, if this fucked up media would just keep people cool instead of, you know, the stupid fear mongering all the time and, you know, <laughs> giving, making people all, you know, this anxiety and craziness and uh, shit going on, you know, uh, you know it, it'll blow over in a matter of time, I think. Yeah. Now, 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 Bob, being out there and also being in contact with as many bands as you are, you know, we just had Eric Ferentinos on, obviously, and he talked about he's going to do, you know, what, what I think most are doing. He's They're going to settle in and write new music and try and have something ready to go once this all passes. Is that what you're hearing from other musicians as well, that they're all going to start writing and whatnot? I think so. I mean, a lot of these guys are obviously creative, these musicians, and this gives out, allows them, you know, I mean, the good thing is, you know, take advantage of the time, use it to your advantage, you know, uh, and, um, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I, I just talked, got off the phone with Matt earlier today, and we, you know, said, dude, let's get some podcasts going, because the one thing people, you know, are going to be making a killing on is, is, you know, the Netflix, Amazon Primes, people are sitting at home going to just be streaming movies, you know, or listening to podcasts. Or, or whatnot. So there will be a demand for that or listening to music. So, yeah, I would encourage all the musicians, you know, to make the most out of it, you know, make the most out of the time off and uh, the time staying at home. Most of these guys have home studios, you know, get together, write songs, put some stuff out. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, like I said, we're going to plan some Skull Sessions episodes. I already got one planned for Monday and a couple others that are planned down the road. So, uh, so yeah, I you know I, I think that's the case. Uh, I would hope so with a lot of musicians. Right. Well, Bob, you're uh, you're no stranger to entertaining the masses. I'm glad you brought your skull sessions back. You've already been at it what a year and a half already. God, I think it has been. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
It's been great. And Matt, you know, Matt Hartnett, shout out to Matt. He's He's been a blessing. He's the one, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have brought it back on. He, you know, he uh, offered to do it. He lives just about a half hour north of uh, 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 San Lorenzo, which is just south of Oakland. And uh, he's got a little killer home studio he built with, you know, nice microphones and everything. And uh, uh, he's producing it, putting everything together for me, doing all the work, getting it uh, posted. So, uh yeah, it works good. It works good. We, uh, he and I make a really great team, and I'm glad to. Uh, and you know, as Chris knows, he's more into the. Uh, uh, he's a quite a few years younger, so he's more into. Uh, he grew up in New York. He's really into. Uh, you know, he grew up in the New York hardcore scene and a lot of the stoner metal. And you know, whereas myself, like Neely, is more into the classic metal. Most for me, mostly '70s and and uh, you know a lot of '80s stuff as well. But um, so it's a good mix, and uh, we um, you know we work really well together. So. Uh, yeah, thanks to Matt for that. It, is, it has definitely added a great new element to the Skull Sessions because, you know, you, you really, Matt definitely challenges you to learn a lot more music and whatnot that, that I'm sure, you, you know, you just didn't listen to in the, when it was out. And for, for obvious reasons, it just wasn't your thing. But, you know, having Matt do that and having Matt bring in some new things it, I've enjoyed it a whole lot more than the first run. I like the first run, but I, I really do enjoy the, the bouncing off, especially when you have a band that's clearly a map band on. Right. You know, I like how, when you get to a point where you don't know the band inside out, he does. Totally. And, it, and it really helps balance the show out. It's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. He's, uh, you know, he's got some good guys from New York. We had, uh, you know, leeway. We had uh, 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 Paris from uh, Chromags, and and right. I love the Chromags. I remember when they came out that the Age of Coral record, and uh, you know, I was I, I was a big fan of that. And uh, so it's cool. It's cool to see these guys still still out there making music and uh, uh, you know recording and uh, uh, you know and, and I like that. I like that you know that diversity. You know, to use a hip term, which I've been using for several years, but it is that musical diversity of not. It's not just you know, it's not just Neely metal, you know, it's, it's a uh, uh, Neely and Aiken metal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, we, we do everything based on the classic metal show. You know, we have to, we have to, we have to use you guys as, as our biggest inspiration. Well, right? after, after all, <laughs> inclu- after all, inclusion and diversity is our strength, Bob. That is correct, Neely. So <laughs> I'm glad to see you and Chris are keeping that social distancing. <laughs> well, from, Chris, you know, Chris made it in mission. Yeah, well, Chris made it in mission to me. I mean, he's practicing so social distancing. He's not even jacking off anymore. No, I'm not. Damn. Uh, I don't let, believe that, man. With all those <laughs> sex toys that he's surrounded by every day, <laughs> let's, I don't believe that. That is a bold-faced lie. My hand and <laughs> dick are not practicing social distancing at all. See, I told you, Neely. Oh, well, hey, you know, I, I thought I thought it'd make a comical line anyway. <laughs> I know well, Chris better than that. Well, not that well. We've never uh, met. I hope you don't, we, you know, we have kept our social distancing, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Well, well Bob, I did want right. to talk to you about the most current Skull Sessions because – it's one that I'm going to guess is not going to do the best numbers for you because it's a band. A lot of people don't know. And I'll be the first one to admit, I didn't know nothing about them either, but arguably the best podcast you've done to date, which, which is the, um, the, the stone vengeance, which, which I don't think is the most new one now, but 
Talk a little bit about that and those guys' history and, you know, why you decided to feature them because that is that is a seriously great look at that late 80s, early 90s look of, of you know, the music scene out there in Frisco. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. And uh, uh, actually, that is the latest uh, current uh, podcast. We did do, I think, an archive, an old one with uh, Brian Slagle and Malcolm Dome on Iron Maiden which was from back in like 2014 we just posted. But yeah, if you go to these skull sessions, I think it's number eight. Uh, I, I don't even remember the numbers. I don't, but you, you'll see it in their stone vengeance. And yeah, I was, it was a man I was familiar with for many years reading, you know, like by, by my buddy, Ron Quintana's magazine, uh, metal mania, and just hearing from other uh, people in the uh, San Francisco area. Uh, and, and, you know, I really took a like, I wasn't very aware of them cause they didn't really at that time have any, any releases out. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, Chris, I was a big fan of that band sound barrier from LA and, mm -hmm. uh, really supported them. They were an eighties, all black heavy metal band, uh, that put out a great record, total, uh, uh total control. And then Bernie and the, and the drummer who uh, sadly had passed away. They had a other band called, um, uh, uh, slips my mind now. Total Eclipse, yeah, okay. Total Eclipse, and uh, which actually fe featured a Vic, Vic Johnson, who's now playing in Sammy Hager. And that right. was a good album too, just really. And, and these guys uh, kind of remind me of that. Um, and they've been together since 1978 in the Bay Area, played the Bay Area scene pre Metallica and pre Thrash. Mm -hmm. So they were around, you know, during the yet Y and T, yet before Y and T, when it was yesterday and today, during those days. So. They got a huge history, and we have them featured in the movie. And uh, my buddy and a co-producer, and also the editor Danny Shipman from Reality Check TV. Uh, I, you know, when, when uh, you know, I, my buddy John Stranansky, and he and I, I, I obviously wasn't that familiar with a lot. I knew of a lot of the Bay Area guys, but didn't have that personal connection to them. And sure. uh, between John Stranansky and Danny Shipman. They knew all these guys, and and he said, "Oh, I, I could get the guy, you know, Stone Vengeance," and I said, "Oh, yeah, man, I, I heard so much about that band, you know, and I I love to get get them on." So, uh, so he got them on uh, Mike Coffee, uh, who's you know kind of the leader of the band, bassist, vocalist, uh, and uh, their segments that are in the movie, which you'll be seeing soon, were fantastic, you know. So I hit him up. I said, "Dude." You guys want to do a podcast? So the entire band came down. We just had a blast. You just had total personality, and you know, it's 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 bands like that that you know you just have this total instant click with because old school metal guys, tape traders. You know, we're talking about the old days of tape trading, all the you know the early Merciful Fate demos, and you know Venom, and you know these guys were doing covers of Venom and bands right. like that, an all black metal band, and they look like you know total you know, hardcore gangsters doing, you know, it's just like a body count kind of uh, band, but they're all, they're all, you know, old school, hardcore metal guys and just nicest guys you can meet, man. Just, just great guys and great attitude. And the fact that they never broke up, I mean, you just got to really respect that fact, you know, especially all the shit they've gone through and the, you know, respect they never achieved, you know, probably from being, you know, an all black rock metal band. Cause back then, you know, and, you know, we talk about in that podcast, how, uh, you know, and I love Living Color, you know, when they came out in like 88 or whatever, it became like this novelty and people consider them, you know, like the first all black hard rock band. And it's like, no, there were others, you know, there were a lot of others. Uh, you know, there was that band Death, that punk band. There was a band from Cincinnati called Death, too, right? Another band that I think you had on your show once. 
So mm-hmm. there were there were uh, you know a lot of bands that just never got the respect, and the fact that Stone Vengeance kept going uh, without getting a, a, any kind of record deals or major record deals. They got a few things you know that uh, they got in in Europe, but you know it's just a great you know, great attitude. I mean they they got fucked over by some, but they still have that attitude and they still persevere and they're just enjoying it, man. They, they I mean true metal guys, you know that just love it, love performing, and and you just gotta gotta respect that man yeah well yeah i mean it, it was such a cool listen and you know as somebody that was you know young in the early 90s was you know in my 20s like 20 21 22 going hearing stories about some of those clubs and stuff and this is after they had already been a band for you know 10 15 years and they were talking about on your podcast about how they just didn't get respect. And even after all that time, they're opening bands for shitty bands that didn't, you know, didn't have any right to be headliners and whatnot. It was just a fascinating look at that whole era. Maybe it's just me because I remember that era so much, but, but you know, it, it, it really was a fascinating look at that stuff, man. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I love, getting and digging really into that and that's what i think we did you know obviously with the the previous inside metal titles on the la scene uh mm-hmm. with the pioneers getting to the clubs from, from you know the starwood and all these clubs that are no longer and here in san francisco all you know you don't have the stones there were three stones you don't have ruthie's you don't have the omni you know, all these clubs are gone wolfgangs i mean uh, uh they're all gone you know so it's yeah. it's really great to hear those stories and to bring it back and all the artists really appreciate that and just to bring back those old memories of of how it was and that band mm-hmm. busted their balls and we lived off that shit. I know you know me growing up in LA, I mean going to these club shows were just as important to me as going to these arena rock shows, you know. Oh, yes. the, the country club and you know, and even major bands. I remember, you know, Merciful Fate and Exciter coming down Queens Rike doing well, their very first show outside of Seattle when their EP first came out on the independent label, 206 Records, and, uh, you know, uh, Loudness came out, you know, for, for the first time. And, you know, and then you had Armored Saint and Metallica, Armored Saint, Metallica, Abattoir, I remember that bill, Motorhead playing there a couple of times, Malice, all these great bands, uh, you know, and they, they were just as important, you know, these shows uh, were huge, you know, and, uh, yeah, you, you miss those days, and this is uh, a great way to bring back that that those memories too and give a little history to a lot of the younger people that sure. will never never experience that right and you know and you know what is missing now bob versus that time period it's not necessarily the great lineups that were on the shows but and i know you'll remember this and neely you'll remember this too it was you could go to the club and you could just meet like big rock stars like not not like little rock star guy that's in you know band that you might have heard of on the concrete corner once or something i mean it was not surprising to go into the stone and run into kirk hammett or to run into dave stain or somebody in these clubs back in that era this is when they were big bands but that was a big part of that club scene was that you could meet big bands and that that attitude i guess has just 100 percent gone away you cannot meet a, a rock band in a in a club anymore and it's really sad because that was for me personally that was way more important to me than who was on the stage you know when, when i and i know you've listened to the show bob when i talk about my time in san francisco at the 
Omni or the Stone or whatever I, you know, whatever club. The story usually is about, well, I'm sitting at the bar with Jim Martin from Faith No More or Zach Wild or, you know, or Pantera guys before they were famous or whatever. You know, the story is very rarely about, you're not going to believe who I saw on stage. It was Road Crew with Davey Vane and Steven Adler. You know, it's, it's always more about the hang because it was the one, and I'm assuming it was the same in LA as it was in San Francisco. The hang back then was a real melt melding of the fans and, and the bands. And a lot of the musicians were just guys like me that could play guitars and got picked up by some of these bands. That's where they all met. It was like a meeting spot for so many of those bands. Totally, man. Totally. And you're giving away all your lines in the movie, Chris. Oh, am I? <laughs> a lot of them. Dude. <laughs> Dude, so true. I mean, of course, I, I grew up in L.A. in the L.A. club scene, and it was all the same. You know, all the bands went out and supported each other. Or it was just cool for the hang. They might, you know, they might have talked shit about each other, but that's how it was then. It was that competitive vibe. You know, you might talk shit in the Bay Area because you shit about you know, the glam versus thrash. But all these guys, you know, we interviewed the guys in Exodus and Testament, all these bands, they were saying they were going to the Vane shows. They were going to the Jet Boy shows. They were going to the head-on shows and the Le Mans shows. And they were going there, you know, they would always say, well, we're, we'd go there just to pick up on the chicks, you know. but Because, of course, the thrash shows had no chicks in the audience, so they would go to a, a lot of these shows. But the point is they all got along together. You know, obviously, Davey Vane, he produced the first couple of Death Angel albums and... So, you know, they would talk shit about each other, of course, when they're, you know, on, on the radio, on KUSF or whatever. But, you know, they all, they, I think everyone had a respect for each other. And that, that's how it was in L.A. It was that competitiveness. Oh, you guys suck, whatever. But at the shows, I mean, I remember going to so many Troubadour shows, the country club shows, going backstage into the dressing room and seeing, you know, the guys in Armored Saint and, and Metallica together with the guys in Black and Blue and Ron Keel hanging out and, and and all these all of us all together in one room, the guys in Sound Barrier, and it's like you know it was like a giant family, and everyone got along, everyone respected each other as musicians, and would talk to uh, certain guys, hey, how do you get this guitar tone? Oh, this is y'all, man, I love you know. And then you know, of course, when they go out, you know, and then people ask them about you know some of these bands, it was ah, we blow them away, you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, it wasn't it was a cool hang, and that was where, like you said, everyone. You know what, Hank? I'm dude at the country club show. I, I, that was where I first met Ronnie James Dio. I came up to him when I was fucking 17 years old with my little paper fanzine and asked him to do an interview. He fucking gives me his home phone number and says, "Call me anytime." I call him up. He answers the phone. He invites me over to his house in Tarzana, his original house on on Donna Lane. I still have his address and phone number written on the magazine. And he goes, well, come on over. Well, and I was over there for like three hours. I'm a 17 year old kid talking to fucking Ronnie James Dio. And I met him at the country club and he was there to see Ingve. I think Ingve with, with Steeler when, uh, uh, you know, Ron Keel had the first, that the Steeler lineup with Ingve, Rick Box, and uh, Mark Edwards. Right. So you know, that's, you know, you, you just ran into so many cool people. And of course, LA, that was where stars were at the Troubadour back in the early 80s. You always saw, you know, David Lee Roth, they had this front bar stretch bar david lee but roth roth would be a drunk off his ass you guys would always be uh, at the bar and you know the guys in wasp and whatever and it was you know everyone was there if it was a metal show people knew and that was their way of promoting themselves too they would get all decked out you know mm -hmm. motley crew would look just like how on the back of the uh two fast for love record 
you know, right. hair all up or whatever. And it was a way of self-promotion, you know, and uh, I, it was good times, man. Whether you were into that music or not, you know, I was, you know, I was not into the, the whole glam thing back then. But uh, fuck, it, it was fun, especially the after parties. I'll tell you, man, some of those, you know, Motley Crue or, you know, uh, rat uh, parties or some of the parties that, you know, mutual friends of mine had that had these parties and all the ba- all these artists would show up and man, fuck dude. It was, it was some fun shit. Dude. One of the, one of the most funny, funny things that I remember, it was a common line. Like if you would sit at the bar, like you, you know, I was such a young kid and I would go up to the, to whoever I recognize, you know, and, and I mean, you know, the rules were based. So I of course ignored that rule and I would immediately go up to whoever was sitting at the bar and be like, Hey man, can I buy you a beer or what? You know, can I buy you a drink? Whatever. And I would See, that's, buy. That's the proper line, though. You go up to them, you offer them a drink. You're yeah. In, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they would all say yes. But the one thing that I must have heard a hundred times from a hundred different band guys, they would bring somebody else over and they would introduce you. And they didn't know me. You know, I had just met right. them for buying them. Drink. And they would just be like, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's going to be famous someday. You know, that was the line was he's going to be famous someday. And it it was kind of like 50, 50. Some of them really did become famous someday. And then a lot of them were like, all right, well, you were in the, um, astrological cowboys and that was your claim to fame. And who the fuck is that? And, you know, nobody remembers those bands, but it was just such a different time that is almost impossible to explain to people today because, the, especially the younger crowd today, all they know is paid meet and greets and, you know, cattle call photos with the band and stuff like that. They don't, they don't remember the time when, you know, I say this all the time. I mean, Zach Wilde has been a friend of mine, you know, for a lot of years. And I literally met the guy at the bar. You know, right. I didn't, I didn't meet him through being in radio or anything. I met him as a fan of the No More Tears album, and I recognized him from the video, and I sat down next to him and was like, hey, man, want a beer? And he was like, yeah, brother. You know, typical Zach does before he had the beard or everything. <laughs> of he was course. Like, He's like, yeah, brother. Get, what are we drinking? You know, and immediately we that started drinking. boy days, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we had a few beers, and we kept in touch for well, years. Dude, that's how they were, especially you know, like the heavier bands, the thrash bands. But mm-hmm. that, that, they were all about it. And they were a lot of the L.A. bands, some of the bands, you know, Motley Crue <laughs> and other bands. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they would play the rock star, you know, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't really give you the time of day or they would, you know, you know, always just be on the lookout for chicks or, you know, kind of like, hey, man, thanks. What are, you know, but, you know, the Bay Area guys, I think, are, well, I'm just the more heavier, the thrash guys. Are like, same with the guys in Armored Saint. They were just so down to You came up to them, you know, you were instant bros, you know. Mm-hmm. You could easily talk to them and approach them. And I think the more down-to-earth bands, which, you know, a lot of the Bay Area bands were, uh, you know, I never made it uh, to these. You know, I was well aware of all the shows in the in the early 80s. It, you know, back then it was expensive to drive up from uh, L.A. to San Francisco and get a hotel. So I never saw those early shows. You know, I was there in the late 80s and early 90s. So I caught the, you know, still when, you know, the, the Stone and the Omni and all those clubs were still around. But, you know, it was by then that it, the scene had changed quite a bit. But uh, the fact that, you know, these guys were, were were fans themselves. You know, they were all, they everyone grew up on the fans 
of the new wave of British heavy metal. You know, the Iron Maiden, Saxon, Tigers of Pantang, Venom, you know. And the mm-hmm. Bay Area had these record stores that made it easy access to the band. Whereas uh, in L.A., you had to drive many times 60 miles to go to certain stores to find some of the, you know, the neat records imports or some of the other, you know, more rare Im- imports. So, yeah, but yeah, all the bands were cool back then. It was, you know, it was a community. It was definitely... Um, this community vibe back then, for sure. Neiling, you're so silent out there. Well, Chris is uh, very engaged here. Yes. Are, are you? Are do you have nothing to say, Neely? Oh, I. Uh, you know, Chris, Chris, Chris got the Chris got the floor. So. Yeah, but you're on camera, dude. You got to. You got to at least, you know, you know, do some kind of a show, do like some of a strip tease or something to keep the CMS fans motivated. Yeah, well, I'm I'm engineering the show, Bob. I'm working behind uh, the scenes. I'm working my magic. Boring. Z. 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 Nice. Well, well, Bob, what I was going to ask you, though, uh, seriously, you brought up, uh, you know, back in the day when radio was a uh, force, you know, that's where a lot of people got all their information from. This is when DJs kind of had a little more freedom to uh, have guests or feature records or, you know, do different shows. Um, what do you prefer? I mean, do you prefer the old days when uh, you had to wait for your favorite uh, local disc jockey or favorite show to come on? You know, like K- on a KNEC, KLOS, uh, uh, KMET, any one of those uh, stations? Or do you prefer where we're at today with the Internet being that, you know, obviously you got your skull sessions. We do the CMS here and there's a ton of other shows out there. Looking back, what it, what do you prefer? Do you long for the old days of radio, or do you like where we're at today as far as technology and you know the platforms that are available to to true fans? Very good question, Neely. Very interesting. And I, of course, I miss those old days. And there there was something special about discovering a new band, you know, on vinyl or hearing it on the radio for the first time, where you know everyone hears it at once, and especially. When it comes to local bands, I mean, like I said, the, on Candy C, the local music show you would hear, you know, band, you know, that's where you discover bands like Guns N' Roses, you know, Love, Hate, whatever local bands are, are Tesla for the first time, you know, uh, Cinderella, they'd be live in the studio. And back in, I remember even KROQ when they were kind of uh, uh, back, we're talking late 70s or into the early 80s. I remember Angus Young would pop by the studio and this was during maybe before Highway to Hell came out, you know, uh, or mm-hmm. when Highway to Hell first came out. He would be in the studio with the DJs, uh, and, and it wasn't playing. He would just pop in. Hey, you know, we're playing tonight. He'd be in the studio for like two hours. Rob Halpert, I remember, after they did a sh- Judas Priest did a show at the Starwood. And I'm this, you know, 14-year-old kid listening to, you know, Discovery. And, and I knew about Priest, but I never – they he they played like about 20 Judas Priest songs while talking to Halpert. And it was just—it was cool, man. It was—it was great. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's how the local music shows were. They'd have local bands without albums, and, and you know, bands like Snow in the late seventies, and you know, you would discover all these cool bands. So that I definitely miss. But you know, I mean, yeah, I, I was talking about this to someone because everyone's like, "Oh man, it sucks the way it is, all the streaming and all the way things are." But if it wasn't for, I, I, obviously, you got to progress when it comes to technology and whatever. 
if it wasn't for that, just think about what would rule. Because I remember in the late 90s, you know, what just before like Napster hit and all that, you would go to record stores, major record stores, unless you went to like a tower or something like that, and you had to pay a lot more money for imports. You couldn't find anything except the commercial pop shit that they would just shove down your throats. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have got just way worse where bands like today, like a band like Red Rain or anything like that, would not be able to exist, you know, because no labels. There would, you know, there would obviously be, you know, the majors and, of course, some independent labels, but they would have to invest money into it. And for, for them to get their records in the record store, now you could have billions of records out. Before, when you had record stores, you could only carry so many records. And they would, this was, you know, the days of the boy bands and all that, and the, you know, Britney Spears and all that. So that was just shoved down everyone's throats. So, you know, you see all these bands, like new wave of British heavy metal bands making this comeback and all these, you know, even the 80s metal bands, they were all dead in the late 90s. You know, I, I would see, you know, Cinderella play at a half-empty club and mm -hmm. uh, Saxon play at, at the Whiskey in front of, like, you know, 50 people. And it's like, man, this is... So, and now they're playing, you know, in, in front of 800 people again. So, obviously, it, it gives the people you know, the right to choose what they want to hear that instead of getting shit jammed, you're going to still get shit jammed down your throat, whether you're on Spotify or whatever, to what their favorites are, but you can easily discover new music today. You had to invest in discovering new music. You saw a record. You didn't know if it was good or not. You looked at the cover, you look covered. You go, ah, oh, this looks pretty metal. This looks like it'll be good. And you invest, you know, 10, 11 bucks at the time, make it home and you go, fuck. This sucks. That's why Chris all stole his music from Gold Circle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's, I mean, that's why we were trading uh, tapes back in the day and recording music. You know, I would, we'd go to record stores, especially when imports were so expensive at 13 bucks. I'd go with like two or three other friends and we would each buy like three or four albums at like, you know, $13 uh, each or whatever and spend all our fucking money, our paychecks, go home and record off each other's albums and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, then when we had enough money, we, the good albums we'd usually buy because then there was some pride in ownership, owning a record, which there's mm -hmm. just, just gone now. You know, if you had the collection, the, you know, owned, you know, the, the Bow Wow Japanese import, not Bow Wow Wow. wow. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to bring that up, but you know, that was like a rarity in the Japanese imports back then were like 20 bucks, you know, cause right. the vinyl was like pristine and it was, you know, real rare, but you had that in your collection. That was cool, you know? And, and there was that kind of thing, you know? So yeah, I, I, I do miss that. I do miss those, those days. But do sure. you, do you have any, uh, do you, are you a collector of vinyl, Bob? Yeah, do you still have a lot of your vinyl it. or not? I don't want to talk about it. Your I sold all my vinyl in the late nineties. Before eBay, before all that, I had it, you know, I was living in L.A., uh, you know, in apartments, uh, in Hollywood, you know, 90, 91, 92, you know, th I think around 97, I, I, had, I, I didn't have vinyl, I had vinyl for a while, then when CDs came out, I couldn't, you know, carry, carrying all the vinyl was a bit, so I had it in my mom's closet in Huntington Beach, just stacks of vinyl, and she got to the point where she was going to throw it all out. She said, get rid of this shit. So I sold it all to a collector back then. And, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, uh, at the time, it was a fair price. But now seeing some of these on eBay going for three, four hundred bucks a pop, you know, I could have made 
you know, a hundred times more than I sold it for. Right. I sold them individually, but you know, it is what it is. I don't, you know, look back, but since then I stopped collecting. I mean, I move around so much as you guys know that I, I keep it very minimal. Even my CDs, I got rid of most of my CD collection. So, yeah. well, you know. and, and since we're on camera and you can see behind me, you can see, the, see that, Neely. you can see the CMS collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you got a lot of fucking CDs. <laughs> a lot of, you're, you're, fucking, the cool a lot of you're the cool man on the block. I am. Know. I'm badass. He's got it all right there on his phone. Yep, there's <laughs> a collection. It's convenient. I got to say, as much as I, I do like the whole CD concept, dude, the technology today has made you a, a, such a lazy fuck when you could pop up a song within, you know, 20 seconds or 10 seconds mm-hmm. on Spotify or whatever, rather than having to look through your collection, get the CD out, or same with DVDs. I've got all these DVDs, and most of the shit I just stream, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just a bitch to go to the player and put, and even though there are some cool extra scenes and whatever, so sometimes, you know, it's cool to watch, but it is, you know, we've become such a lazy society because of the <laughs> technology, you know, well, but, yeah. But you know what, dude? It, it really at least in my opinion, it comes down to what you're looking for too. Like for, I'll give you a great example this week or in the last two weeks, cause it might've been last week. I discovered, I didn't discover it, but I discovered for my own personal listening, a new band that I am loving to death called code orange, which I know oh, they're not, I know they're, they're not been together for a, for yeah. quite a few years. I think. Yeah. yeah they've been around for a little while. I never listened to them ever never heard them, never really was aware of them. And I was listening to, honestly, I was listening to the new Lamb of God single. And I just, with Google, I use Google play music as my music player. And one of the options when you go to play a song is you can either play the the song or you can press what it, what it calls start radio. And what it does is it does, it'll start playing music behind the song you're listening to that they think is, like that music and, so and that's, two songs at once playing no, oh it, 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 it's like a playlist it's like oh, an okay. it's an automated play playlist based on whatever algorithm they use based yeah. on that song so i was listening and it was playing some stuff i knew you know black dahlia murder and you know uh stuff like that and i was like okay this is pretty cool and then all of a sudden it kicked up with this code orange i was like what in the fuck is this and I was like, wow, this is fucking phenomenal. And I discovered the record, you know, and listened to the whole album. And now I've listened to it about 25 times because I discovered it in the new streaming way. I know that's the way that's the way it's intended to work. I know people right. don't. I, but I know that older, older folks like us generally don't do that. We're not discovering music anymore. We're well, listening. People still are uh, people our age. And of course, that's how younger kids discover it. But. It is, uh, you know, you always get suggestions or, uh, you know, play next or whatever, or, or they'll build their own playlist for you uh, a lot of times. You know, Spotify, I know, does that. And, uh, you know, some of them, I mean, have gotten way better. Hold on, I got to put in my the plug here. <laughs> um, battery's about to run down. And, uh, no, but, yeah, sometimes I remember when they first started or when Pandora started, the, the uh, stuff they recommended was just horrible. It was yeah, nothing it was- like me. You know, it's just, it was just shit. Yeah. Uh, just, but I, I think they've got a lot better now. Yeah. When you started with Pandora, you'd, you'd try and play Megadeth and the next song would be Bon Jovi. And yeah, you're like, exactly. Well, you're you know, like, I, I got a funny story. I remember 
I, I was living up in uh, uh, Northern California, Chico at the time. Uh, so this was around 2004, I think. Right. And when Pantera, a, a Pan, I had never heard of Pandora. I guess they had just come out. All okay. the college kids knew it. And one of my buddies, a, a college kid there, says, hey, you want to come with me? They're, they're, you know, they, what they did, which was smart, they would go to the college campuses, the guys that owned, that ran Pandora, and do these lectures. And right. he goes, yeah, I got a free pass to go. You know, it was a nighttime thing at one of the uh, places. And uh, he said, uh, I go, yeah, I'll check it out. I go, what, what the fuck is this Pandora? He's like, dude, you don't know Pandora? Oh, you, you know, check it out. I'm like, listen to it. I go, this, this is, you know, this is basically worse than Napster. I mean, you could, you know, <laughs> and they, they killed Napster. And now they're having this because back then I'm like, you know, this is crazy that, that, that you could do this, you know. And I went there and the guys were the two biggest nerds talking about it. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and I asked the question because I'm not going who, you know, because you would because he was uh, the guy was showing me my, my buddies. I go, like, oh, you could say I go like, say, Judas Priest Radio. And he would do that. And they'd have bands that must be like Judas Priest on the radio. And I'm like, this this isn't like Judas. And I said, do like Armored Saint Radio. And they actually had Armored Saint Radio. But like you said, they would play point. Some guy just went and said, oh, L.A. bands and just were yeah. playing. It's like, dude, this. And so I asked the guy. You know, I got up, I said, hey, what, do are some of the band members upset or the bands upset that you're controlling them to say that, hey, this band sounds like this band. And what if they hate that band that you're right. pitching to them? You know, saying it and he, uh, what are you talking about? And he got like this really pippy attitude. Or we, we do the demographics and we check and we, you know. Everyone that listens to us, like, fuck you, you fucking idiot. And this total, like, <laughs> nerd, obviously do nothing about music. And from that point on, I, I just had this real hatred of that whole uh, right. streaming kind of thing. Because it's like, you know, you're controlling. Now, if the bands had to say, like, I know on certain uh, iHeartRadio or whatever, Megadeth had a channel. Or uh, what's the uh, place that they have the channel? Uh, what is it? Gimme Radio, the Gimme new one. Radio. That's it. And yeah. that, at least Dave Mustaine is the program director or he, you know, or the band control what they play. But this, you know, the guys, these computer nerds are controlling what, you know, to, to you know, Armored Saint Radio is, you know, it's like, this yeah. is stupid. But anyway, I just yeah. had to know that. So fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, since you threw that out, gimme radio. If for people that like heavier music, that is the shit, man. I love gimme radio. Cause now, not only does Mustaine have his own show, but a bunch of musicians have shows and, and it really plays into learning a lot of, you know, cause those guys, they're out on tour and they see a lot of bands that we don't see and they expose a lot of it on gimme radio. Gimme radio fucking rules. I listen to that a lot. And plus like the uh, Mustaine radio or Megadeth radio, they, uh, they'll play a lot of his early influences. So you'll hear, you know, a new wave of British heavy metal bands, you know, Praying Mantis or Quartz or bands you would, right. you know, or Budgie, you know, from even, uh, you know, the 70s and, you know, uh, stuff like that. So it, it is cool. It is cool. And for younger fans, I think it's a great way for them to, you know, get turned on to the, the classic metal of the 70s and 80s. Yep. It is. Yep. Agree. Definitely. Come on, Neely. You're shifting around in your chair. I know you want to say something. <laughs> speak, Neely. Speak. No, I'm, I'm good, <laughs> Bob. Oh. No. Or, is, or is he just like a mannequin? I, no, no, it's only him. It, no, it's just a cardboard cutout. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you, you, you guys, you're obviously familiar. I know nobody in America knows this band except 
your buddy Jim Nostradamus and probably a few other CMS guys, but the band Status Quo, who are British band, they're literally as in in, in, in the rest of the world they're as big as the Rolling Stone, literally. Mm-hmm. They did a video. <laughs> what they do you remember that uh, rock rock all, rock all over the world? Is, is that what's called rock 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 and roll? What the fuck is the name? Rocking all over the world. It was kind of their first hit in the eighties when they did the the Live Aid. That's where a lot of people discovered them when they did Live Aid, and they are already about ten or fifteen years into their career. But anyway, they had a music video, and dude, this is total fucking Spinal Tap. I don't. I I heard they took the music video down, but you were, you used to be able to watch it on YouTube. They fired their bass player. Their bass player was in 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 Australia, and they they call him up. He was on vacation. They go, hey. You got to come back. We're doing a video. He's like, fuck you guys. I'm on vacation. He goes, well, if you don't come back, we're going to replace you for the video. And he's like, fuck you guys. You ain't going to replace me. So they used a blow-up doll <laughs> to play bass. And they put a I swear to God, you could probably find it somewhere. I heard they took the video down, but they, they would scan the camera so you don't really notice. But there's this one segment where you could totally see it's a fucking blow-up doll. And it looks just like the bass player, Alan. And, uh, He's got a bass on him, and he's like bob bobbing his head. It's fucking hilarious. But they replaced him with a fucking mannequin. So if that ain't Spinal Tap, I don't know what it is. That's awesome. <laughs> too funny. Hey, Bob, real quick, since you're out there, did you hear that they closed Slims this week? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the rumor for a while, and I think they used this whole thing as an excuse now that, you know, businesses are fucking hurting, man, and Slims uh, – you know, I guess I think Golden Voice was took over Slims a, a little while ago, and Golden Voice is taking over everything. And you know, I know there was a lot of politics with that. And I don't know if I know Boz Skaggs owned Slims. I, I I believe he's still. I don't know how involved he is, but I believe he's still part of an owner. But dude, I saw some great shows there. I saw Exodus, uh, uh, Death Angels, saw um, uh, Udo there. Uh, yeah, great, great, great venue. Uh, you know, all the clothes are closing, man. I think this guy, this gives them, you know, this is kind of the nail in the coffin. It's like, well, fuck, we're going to be closed for a month or two. You know, how are they in, you know, in San Francisco? They're right in the middle of fucking downtown San Francisco. And it's a big, you know, Slims isn't a small, it's like a, you know, for a club, it's like an 800 seater. So, you know, I'm sure the rent on that is pretty hefty. Uh, I'm wondering how the Sunset Strip clubs are going to survive too. The Whiskey, the Roxy, um, the Rainbow. You know, that's prime real estate. You got to know, you know, the, the rent there is going to be awfully high. So, you know, uh, they say those clubs uh, are, are mandated or they've got historic values so they can't uh, tear them down. But you never know, dude, if it's uh, that that right there on Sunset Boulevard, they've been building hotels like crazy. They tore down the House of Blues to build a giant high rise. So you never know, man. But, yeah, it's, it's sad to see. I mean, going back to that, uh, any club that's doing live music, especially – slims that did so many great you know hard rock and metal shows uh, you know it's not surprising but yeah true well i think the internet probably kind of put a kibosh on the live music experience for the small clubs because it's it's just easier to just go to youtube and just watch it on youtube instead of heading out and spend 20 30 dollars you know, to get into a club and see a live band. So, yeah, but it, it's not the same. Thing it's not the same. I, I know it's not the same. I agree. You know, even even Chris in the last two years has actually gotten out to see a lot of shows. Yeah. Bow, wow, wow. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> going out and banging his head and being, just supporting the metal cause, man. Well, Thank if he, you. if he didn't have that, if he didn't have that, uh, if he didn't have that, uh, 
hard rock uh, or the uh what is it uh, what's the name of that that casino down the street there from you chris uh, the roxino yeah, yeah the roxino the roxino is so close that it's hard for him to pass up going to see shows yeah, it's, it's great when it's 10 minutes you know it's it puts a lot less risk in that dwi when it's 10 minutes away <laughs> dude you gotta you gotta start taking uber uber and lyft i actually do agree with that one fan that called in that you gave him a bunch of shit for you know i really and, should do i really should uber it's too. so easy i mean put it on your phone app it'll cost you 10 bucks i mean if you do end up getting a dui it's going to cost you 10 grand minimum so you know, I mean, you've been lucky so far, but fucking for an Uber app, a ten dollar ride to a club there and back, you don't have to worry. You could drink till you fucking have to crawl home, you know. And, but now, of course, uh, well, I, I guess you know they they still got that going. But uh, you know, I guess now all the clubs are closed, so you don't have to worry about that. So. Yeah, now I don't have to worry about any of it. Now I can watch. I, I'll be honest, you know, not not that it's a replacement, and and I agree with you, it's definitely not the same experience. But I am so thankful to all the people that have illegally and legally put up so many concerts right now. There is some great concert footage of so many bands out there right now, you know, that you can watch, whether it's, you know, your Iron Maidens or Kiss or, you know. That have I was, they been out there for a while or are they just popping uh, up now coming to attention? Or uh, I, I get a lot of that, like there's a, a, a the, the set. The Selling uh, Arena in in Fresno, mm-hmm. uh, they did a lot of shows. A lot of shows that didn't come to L.A. or the bands in L.A. They would they would do the festivals like the Cal Jam uh, or the you know, California Music Festival. We're talking late seventies, but they would do a pit stop. You know, it, at Fresno for those that don't know, it's between San Francisco and L.A. It's it's mid California, and a lot of bands would play the Selling Theater, which is about ten ten. Uh, uh, maybe uh, eight or ten thousand uh, uh, people, right. and uh, UFO uh, with Michael Shaker '78, Bon Scott, you know, with ACDC '1978, uh, uh, some great stuff I've been seeing, uh, you know, uh, l- lately uh, that they had the full concert. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I watched, and I'm not even a Kiss fan, so, but I watched just a. It, it was a a killer show from I think Tokyo or somewhere of kiss on the whatever all night or some asylum tour or whatever. And I, and I was like watching this and I was like, Holy fuck, is this clean? And it wasn't, it wasn't audience shot. It was definitely like professionally shot and professionally mixed. And I was like, how have I never seen this before? But you know, I guess with everybody home, people are uploading their bootlegs and they're, you know, I don't know. Some of them could be just like, uh, you know, a TV. You got to remember, even like before MTV and during MTV, they had all those MTV concerts. Yeah, but even right. before that, you had Rock Palace. You had all these, uh, you know, of course, Don Kirshner's. I've been getting addicted to a lot of those old Don Kirshner. Right. I, I remember those as a kid, you know, going downstairs, sneaking downstairs at, you know, uh, you know, 11, 12 years old. And uh, at, you know, two in the morning watching, you know, Black Sabbath, you know. And try not to wake up my mom and dad, uh, right. but yeah, I mean it, now you can just see all that stuff on there, which is great. But I think a lot of them were shot, especially and uh, you know there were so many shows in Japan. If you said that was in Tokyo, I'm sure there were so many different professionally shot shows that they used for Japanese TV or whatnot that you know we might have never seen. And 
again, that is a great thing about the internet and YouTube. You could it's international and you can see all this great footage shot in, you know, Copenhagen to, you know, South Korea to wherever, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, especially in such a dead time like right now, you yeah. know, where you can't do much. At least you can at least you can rock out a little bit with, you know, stuff. It it's it's nice that you can kind of go out there and search whatever band you like and your favorite era of them. Mm. And you can generally find some footage and it's like, okay, this is pretty solid. Definitely. What about you, Neely? What are your thoughts on that? On, on being able to, well, on being able to, you know, search out things. In fact, I sent something to Chris here earlier this week. I think it was Paul Carrick and uh, they were on, um, what was it? Was it midnight express or something like that? Yeah, uh-huh. and, and they were—I don't know if you watched that video, Chris, but uh, they—the way that they had to lip sync and pretend like they were playing, even oh, yeah, yeah. even back in the day, it was so—it was so clear that you know they were doing these music videos or music appearances Midnight on Express or Midnight Oil. No, I think it was Midnight Express or something Midnight like that. Express, yeah. Uh-huh. And and it was just it was just hysterical. Uh it was Ace. How long? Right. And okay. and, and they were they were all like acting like they were rocking out on the stage, but it was very very clear that none of them had their instruments plugged in or anything. And and right. the and the drummer, you could tell he was like not even tapping his drums and stuff like that. Yeah. But they were playing the studio track while they were playing, and they were just lip syncing along. Just, just to some start. of those are hilarious. Like a lot of the top of the pops are like that too, because yeah. a lot of these bands they never did lip syncing, so they're like, and you could tell they're just like completely like, what the fuck do I do? You know, it's uh, and sometimes they'll have just the vocals live and everything else on tape. Yeah. So, right. Well, that yeah. that's what this uh, ace was. This was top of the pops. Okay, yeah. A lot of those top of the pops were like that, yeah. Oh my god. It's it is funny watching those old those old things. I'll I'll tell you the best ones of those to watch are anything Dick Clark American Bandstand with rock bands because right. the the they didn't have rock bands on that often. They always had like Donna Summer and, you know, disco right. and dance shit because that's what American Bandstand was. So when they would have rock bands, the camera guys didn't know how to how to shoot it. Right. And the producers didn't know how to shoot it. And they would constantly be catching the wrong angle of somebody being like three feet away from the microphone while you heard vocals and stuff. <laughs> so fucking funny to watch. If you if you pull up any like there's a classic one of Bon Jovi on um they were doing Runaway, I think was right. the song they were doing. Or She Don't Know Me. One of the one of the two first hits. And they there's a shot, it's like a side angle shot of John Bon Jovi to where you can see that he's probably two feet to the right of the microphone and you still hear vocals coming out and, and he's so far from the microphone. It's just sad how, how bad it looks, but it, but it's because their producers and their camera guys just didn't know how to, how to shoot rock bands. They, they, have only, no clue. they, yeah. they only knew how to shoot single performance. You know, I, I mean, you think about it, Adonis summer, you have a camera in the front and then you have an overhead that's also in the front. That then you have you- a camera on her ass. Oh, <laughs> you don't even have that. You just have, you have front shot where you just have her. You have the overhead that shows the band fake playing behind her. And that's all you had. 
So I would camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two for people that know anything about video, you know, then they would get these, these metal bands and they didn't know what to do with them. So they would have like four or five cameras and they were at angles. They weren't straight on, on the keyboard player, straight on, on the drummer, straight on, on the guitar player. They would kind of shoot at angles because they also kept trying to make it so they were invisible when they would show the fucking idiots dancing. Right. So, so Soul Train was the best. Yeah, Soul Train was, but at least they had the right music. Soul Train right. didn't stray too far from the Soul Train music, but sure. yeah. Well, the, the interviews were even better when they did the rock bands. Like you see, uh, I remember Y&T were on there uh, uh, once, and you, know, you can tell Dick Clark knows nothing about this band or nothing about these bands, and uh, the interviews are even more funny, yeah. Hey, you're yesterday and today. Is that right, guys? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Neely. So what's going on with you, man? Huh? Just, just speak up. Just, just work, Bob. Just work. Yeah. So you are still working. Then. I they am still working. You to go to work. I, well, as of yesterday, the the um, the governor of uh, Illinois uh, announced his declaration of the uh shelter and home so i gotta see what that brings on monday we'll find out wow so uh are, how is business is there people actually buying oh uh, yeah yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah you know i'm about where i'm at normally at this time of the year so we'll see huh. i'm i'm sure i'm sure we're going to take a hit this month but who knows right on dude right on neely yeah man well, but i'm uh, glad you're giving me like don Dockin time man we've been on here for what nearly an hour huh <laughs> all right well, i feel bob, so privileged well bob hey. bob the fans always like when you come on anyway well the, of course you know as they should as they should <laughs> and let's be honest telling war stories right now about great musical times is a whole lot more interesting than saying well, we're going to be homeless in three months because of the virus. Yeah. Like, fuck that. Let's just talk about tunes and relax. Absolutely. Get well, well Bob, I, I do have a question. I know we asked this question before, and I and I don't know if this ever circled back around. But, uh, you know, being that, being that the Inside Metal series has, you know, pretty much featured West Coast stuff, you know, you did obviously did the L.A. and now you're doing the uh, – Northern California music and whatnot. Do you know, or has there been any discussion or talk of doing, you know, an inside metal type thing for, let's just throw Cleveland in there. Cause Cleveland obviously, you know, at some point had a very influential effect on, you know, music at, at some point, uh, when Chris and I were doing a live broadcast at uh, Joe Cleon's place, a lot of local bands that uh, got some recognition whether it was here in the states or they made a splash over in uh, germany or europe more more there than the states but are still active today and they they have a catalog and they still you know perform on a limited basis is there any interest in doing any kind of an inside metal like midwest bands or you know east coast bands or anything like that We've talked about it, you know, uh, it's a matter of, um, you know, of course, uh, see the, the thing about obviously, you know, with, with not just inside metal, but with DVDs and, and documentaries of, of this kind of this caliber in general, you know, there's, there's not a huge budget to work with. Uh, it's not a big money maker, uh, in that sense. So uh, with me, you know, being 
from LA, living in LA and doing the three LA inside metal titles. And now me living in the Bay area. And I was, you know, in Sacramento for most, a lot of the times I was doing the interviews, uh, which was close enough to, to San Francisco. Uh, I was right there. I didn't need to get a hotel or whatever. I had enough friends. I stayed at people's homes that I, I knew if I needed to, or, uh, you know, my, my editors here, my camera guy is, you know, Alex, uh, who lives here. So, uh, it was it was convenient. So, uh, you know, uh, doing something in New York or in the Midwest, you know, would require a lot more. You know, I'd have to fly out there, you know, stay there. You know, we the night if we do do something, we were talking about a, a New York one. Uh, and in fact, when I was with you at the uh, at the uh, uh, Metal Hall of Fame Awards, uh, I was talking to your buddy Munzee. Yeah. And uh, you know, Munzee took me aside. He goes, dude, if you want to do one on New York. And I love Munzee. He's a great guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, not, and he said, Hey dude, I, I, I could, I, I love to work with you. I've got a place. You could stay at my place. I know all these bands from, from back then. So, you know, and that was, that was a great offer. And that was really great of him to offer that. And, you know, and, and like I said, if, if I do that, I would want to bring in a producer, uh, someone that lived in that area of New York that breathed it, that, you know, and that's what I did with here in the Bay area. I got John Stranansky, you know, who, who, was at all those shows, the first, you know, Metallica shows when they played out here and all those early shows. And of course, uh, the guy from Reality Check TV, Danny Shipman, you know, they, they uh, grew up here. So, uh, or at least we're here since, you know, the, the, the uh, late 80s. So um, they knew all the people and that, you know, so, uh, you know, it's a little bit complicated and it's, it's a lot of fucking work to do. Uh, as you know, to set up all the interviews. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it was very convenient. The L.A. ones were great. I was right in L.A. I knew most of these bands. It was a matter of making a couple of phone calls. We did the majority of the interviews at Joe Floyd's studio, either inside his studio or on his. Uh, he has a, a great patio where we probably recognize the view where we shot many of them. So that was uh, a convenient. So. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, I would love, yeah, you know, I, I would like to keep it going. But you know, it's, it is a lot of work. So uh, I've, I've got, I can't mention anything now, but I am involved in another major uh, documentary, uh, big. Well, you could uh, you could talk about it, Bob. Could, I mean, it, well, it does it does it is about it is. I'll let the I'll let the cat I'll let the cat out of the bag, Bob. It, it's a documentary on the CMS. Uh, have to keep you guys strung along for a little while, but it's uh, <laughs> looking pretty good. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. It's not a matter of, of, of the money. It's a matter of, you know, as long as I could, you know, make enough to keep me, to keep me going and to pay for the expenses and all that. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. So, uh, and you know me, I'm fucking single with no kids. I got no fucking expenses. So, you know, I'm, I'm poorer now than I was 20 years ago. So <laughs> I don't care. I'm doing what I enjoy. So, Nice. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'll let the cat out of the bag. The next big video or next big documentary is on the history of the CMS. That, that is correct. <laughs> it's all about Chris and Neely. <laughs> That's exactly right. In now, that, actually, I was thinking about doing one on Jim Nostradamus on his, uh, the whole Nostradamus theme. Don't you think that was so big? No? Yes? Maybe? You, you would have to get a lot of uh, sign-offs on the likeness rights of uh, Richie Blackmore because he's obsessed. Uh, this is correct. Is he in the chat room? I haven't even been in there. Yeah, is he, he in the chat room posting those deep purple photos? Yep. Well, I'm sure he will be now that you brought it up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of masturbatory uh, material there, Bob. 
Well, that's Bartek for you. What are you going to do? <laughs> Love giving that guy shit. <laughs> All right, Bob. So, well, it's always a pleasure to have you come on. And, uh, you know, sorry to, you know, things have uh, fallen apart here as far as the uh, you know, screening. But, you know, we'll bring it back around as soon as things get we get the all clear. Absolutely. And you guys will be the first to know. So uh, once we get some new dates and, you know, once this, you know, I, I agree with you. I think I, I heard you guys earlier saying that uh, uh, when you were talking to Eric, that you were thinking around June, things should start to uh, to settle down. Uh, hopefully we'll see as long as people, uh, you know, keep their social distancing. Exactly. We should be fine. Uh, just, you know, play it safe. People seriously, uh, you know, be safe out there. And uh we will, uh, we will definitely, we'll be back and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll probably do one in LA and Vegas and, you know, a few of them. I just hope we could do it before the, the DVD actually comes out. Cause you know, then it won't be, uh, as exciting. You know, we want to give people a preview, you know, that's what the premiere is supposed to be. So, but we'll, you know what it is, what it is. What are you going to do? Exactly. And let's not forget the one we've talked about at pinball PA, Bob. The screen. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cause that's the one we got to have. The one at Pinball PA is the big one. I would love to do one there. Uh, you know, if we could set something up, set up a big screen. Um, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll do it. Well, you know, I mean, I don't even have to to, to, to be there. I would love to come out for it, obviously. But, um, you know, uh, once you guys open back up and get things going, uh, you know, I love doing that. I love doing it at, at businesses. You know, we've done some great ones in the past at the Soho House, which is like a private you know, exclusive kind of club that has like a little theater uh, uh, in there. And uh, we've done a couple there. And, and you know, Neely was at the ones we did at the attic. Or, uh, yeah, the attic. Yeah. Uh, you came down. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a theater. Uh, as, you know, I we don't like doing them at nightclub. We've had a lot of offers to do them at nightclubs. And, and the attic was about as close as we got. Uh, but they had like a screening room there. Uh, and, and that was right in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard. So great location. But. You know, the, the problem with bars, it gets too noisy and you can't hear. And, and even with the attic, a lot of people have problems, you know, saying, oh, they couldn't hear it, you know, uh, right. with all the background noise and stuff. So, but yeah, your place, uh, you know. Oh, well, I'll, I'll talk to the owner. I think I can convince him to take care of it. Okay, cool. Well, we'll, de we'll definitely talk about that. Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to, man. Sounds You're good. Just, all right, all Bob, right. as always, it's a pleasure. So uh, I'll let you pick a track to take us out of this segment. So what would you like me to play for you? Let's see here. You know, it's been, uh, which I've been uh, listening to, uh, the first Malice record in the beginning. I was listening to that last week. And uh, uh, you got Gods of Thunder handy? Well, let me let me pull Did it I, up here. Was that one for with you? I can't even remember. Malice, Gods, Gods of, of Thunder. Thunder in the beginning. Malice in the beginning, you said? Yeah, it's an MD album. Oh. The album. God, Gods of Thunder is a song. Oh, okay. Malice, Gods of Thunder. Okay. Let me see if I got, you got it. it. Yeah, I got it. All right, here we go. He got everything, man. I got it, man. All right. Look at those. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen. We will thank you again for uh, having me on. Always a pleasure being on the CMS. All right, Bob. You're always welcome back anytime. So, uh, well, here it is for Bob. This is Malice, Gods of Thunder, exclusively here. Where, Bob? On your classic metal show. <laughs> 